Hello everyone. I am super excited to introduce another episode in our Humanity in the Plague Time series, which is our local, regional, national COVID storytelling series, not to be confused with our COVID Around the World series, which is also pretty cool and you should check out. Today's episode is an interview with Cody and Lisa Chen, who is one of our dear friends. I cannot say enough great things about her, but I'll say a little bit. She is a fourth-year psychiatry resident, so about to finish her residency and start practicing, and she is one of the most insightful people I know. She, whenever I talk to her, I always have really interesting conversations that wander in all these great directions, and she always kind of brings things back to a very poignant ending. So I'm super excited for you guys to listen to this episode with Cody and Lisa. They talk about things like racial tension and COVID and being a frontline worker. Please enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Podcast Against Disease. This is another episode in our special series, Humanity in the Plague Times. I am your host, Cody Weston, and I am here with Dr. Lisa Chen. Lisa, how's it going? Hello. Hey. I'm great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. Do you want to tell our listeners what it is that you do and uh, kind of how the, the COVID epidemic has hit you professionally and personally? Yeah, so thank you for having me on the show, Cody. Um, so I'm a third-year psychiatry resident like Cody, and what that means is that I'm on the third year of a four-year residency program. I am in the half year of the program where um, I see more outpatients. We do specialty clinics. So, for example, we have a sex and gender clinic. Um, we have anxiety clinic, we have OCD clinic, and it's the half year where we learn more about how to take care of outpatients um, and specific outpatient issues, as probably has happened with a lot of people's outpatient appointments. We're moving a lot of those to virtual appointments, and some of them are getting canceled. So, for example, the sex and gender clinic is not holding consultations at the moment, other than, I guess, for urgent issues because of what's been happening with the pandemic. So certainly at a professional level, it's had an impact on me, even though, uh, you know, I'm not like an ICU doctor or an emergency medicine physician where they would be on the front lines directly taking care of COVID-19 patients. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, in other ways, too, maybe, Cody, you're, you're already going to talk about this, so I'm not sure <laughs> if I should bring this up or not, but that the structure of our residency program is also changing somewhat. So some of our colleagues are going to help our medicine colleagues. So they're not learning specifically psychiatry now, but they're sort of helping as, a, as another doctor, mm -hmm. like a medical doctor <laughs> during, during the pandemic. So I think, you know, definitely it's made a difference to how I thought my life would look like at this point. I also just got out of maternity leave. So from a personal perspective, 
you know, it's my it's the first time I'm becoming a mom, mm. or I'm a first time mother, and so it, it's been a lot of really new experiences. But certainly, the end of my maternity leave was not anything like how I had imagined it would look like. And there's positives and negatives to that too. But it it's really quite remarkable that. You know, I sort of had an idea of what my life might look like around this time, and it's really different from how it is. And even though it's not maybe been nearly as catastrophic for me as for maybe a lot of people, it's still like a change. And and that's that's been sort of interesting to navigate. Yeah, and it sounds like you're going through a period of time when your life was going to be changing in big ways to begin with, but now you've got all this other uncertainty layered on top of that. That's got to be challenging. Right, right, yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure if that's uh, that's better or, or not, you know, <laughs> that maybe, you know, it was going to be different for me anyway. So it doesn't really matter that now it's, you know, even more different than maybe what a, whatever a classic maternity, like the end of maternity leave might look like. And, you know, added to that is, is a lot of anxiety about what COVID-19 might mean. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've been hearing from some friends about their anxieties about whether or not they're still going to have a job or like what the economy might look like for them. But also there's this very, you know, real fear that I have being a new parent of what it's going to look like for my child. <laughs> so... It's true that COVID-19 doesn't have a lot of, or that the number of documented deaths in young people, so ages 10 and under, have been quite low relative to people who are much older. But there have been infant mortality um, from COVID-19, or at least infants who have died who have tested positive for COVID-19, and also children who have passed. And one of the things that is is frightening for me as somebody who you know did a year of internal or like nine months of internal medicine or six months actually can you edit this part out okay yeah. whatever yeah I six months of internal medicine okay that there's a lot of chronic diseases that can happen as a child and it can really exacerbate a lot of things so even if you're not dying from a certain disease there could still be a lot of long-term long-term effects and what we don't know about COVID-19 is is what kind of long-term effects it might have so I've been reading a lot about what COVID-19 does uh, for infants because I'm you know want to know as much as I can to think about what risks my newborn might have and there's a paper from uh, where they looked at a number of uh, kids in Wuhan who tested positive for COVID-19 and who were presumed to have COVID-19 due to their exposures to family members who did test positive for COVID-19. And so this um, included kids from infancy, so less than one years old, the way up to less than 18. And what they found was that even though there were no deaths uh, in this cohort, the kids who were under uh, one years old, of which there was like a hundred some infants, their risk for if they had or were presumed to have COVID-19, their risk of getting uh, severe or critical illness is about 10%. So that's pretty high. So how they define that is that these kids would have really severe pneumonia where it would affect their ability to 
um, breathe, that the oxygenation in their blood would be shown to be low. And obviously, in a critical case, they would have multi-organ failure. So there would be kidney damage. There were encephalitis cases. There were um, cases where, like, the heart uh, was affected. And so, you know, these infants, they all ultimately survive. So that's a really positive thing. But it's also really scary to think about an infant with severe pneumonia um, or with multi-organ failure. And the fact that there's, or not or this, at least this correlation that there's 10% of these infants with presumed or positive COVID-19 that they would have such severe manifestations of the disease. That was really concerning for me. Yeah. And one thing that, you know, I've been thinking about is uh, how fortunate it is that we have vaccines for so many childhood diseases yeah. and how scary it is that we don't have a vaccine for COVID-19 yet. And it really sort of brings into life for me personally, like how far I feel like we've come in terms of medicine with regards to vaccines and helping with childhood mortality and things. But also how frustrating it is for me that there are movements like anti-vaxxers and things like that. Yeah. That it seems like we've gone, we've come so far in many ways, but that somehow we're, there's a disconnect between what we know as scientists and critical thinkers and what happens sometimes out in the world. That maybe we're not communicating these things very well. Because really a lot of childhood diseases that we have vaccines for, we know a lot more about them than COVID-19 and they're a lot more lethal and there's a lot more morbidity. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's something I've been thinking about. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, and I guess in the first thing, it's been really frustrating to see the the kind of responses that our government have have had mm-hmm. to COVID nineteen. You know, there's a sense that you know when I guess I don't you know want to be super political or anything, but it's very frustrating that there are things that we can do as individuals, but then there are things that we really need like a federal government for. Yeah. Absolutely. Like things like, you know, preparing for a national disaster or figuring out how we should distribute necessary equipment. So when I hear stories like how different states are trying to outbid each other on mechanical ventilators because there's no sort of centralized system uh, of distribution of those things, it's just it's very frustrating to me because it seems like that is something that obviously a federal government should do or that we should obviously have some solution to that. Um, But the fact that we don't um, or that we still struggle with these things and that it's such a scary time for people, it's very frustrating because it feels like this is a solvable problem and it feels like this is like a crisis that didn't need to happen. Um, there are certain aspects of this that are inevitable and couldn't be prevented. You know, there's a lot that we don't understand about the about COVID-19. And, you know, we couldn't have prevented every infection, probably. But the fact that we were so underprepared and also that there's such a lack of willingness on the part of people with the responsibility and the power to do something about it is, is really frustrating. And I just really feel... I just really hope that, that things will change afterwards, uh, after this pandemic, that people will realize that there are, that the way the system is working right now is really not acceptable. And we're really putting a lot of people 
endangered that we we don't have to that there's a lot of lives that are being threatened right now that is completely unnecessary yeah yeah it's it's been really tough to see that from from my perspective as well i think that in the united states in particular there's been such an attitude of political polarization and so much like i think there's been so much crying wolf where we spend so much of our time arguing about conspiracy theories and nonsense that i think people probably were prepared to assume that this covid business was the next non-issue because you know the last 30 times we were told to panic about something it turned out to be nothing right yeah and i think that is part of this seems like this disconnect between like we have so much good information and we have so much advancement in medicine and science but it seems like we're not really able to help people process that information in a way that is accurate and actually helps them understand what is what is happening yeah it's, it's very frustrating because and and you know i completely agree with this whole finger pointing thing where for example, right now, I feel like there's a lot of blame that is trying to be put on various organizations or countries. Like, for example, the WHO has been, China has been blamed for the way that it did or didn't handle the pandemic in its inception. But ultimately, we're still dealing with this issue where a lot of people are dying and it didn't need to happen this way. Yeah. And I, I, I just wish that we could learn from this that things could change, that people would realize that this is this really didn't need to happen and that we could be better as people. Um, and maybe that's very, that's very idealistic, but it, it feels like we have gotten ourselves in a situation where maybe the most important thing isn't, isn't human lives, but something else. And I feel like that's quite disturbing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, even if you come back to the idea of states bidding on ventilators, for example, now what that ultimately breaks down to is like the underlying message there is the state that has more money has more right to life saving equipment. Like that seems like a really twisted value to be working from. And people seem to be like the fact that people are not horrified by this. Um, maybe it's just that they're, everyone's suffering from like outrage fatigue at this point, but it's just, yeah, there, yeah. there's been th- disappointment after disappointment. And I, I feel like what we're seeing here is just the nexus of so many issues. I mean, we've seen a lot of things that we've been chronically dealing with coming to the surface. I mean, we're seeing that minority groups are being affected disproportionately by this for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. we're seeing and I mean, it goes back to, to a lot of the political decisions that were made were driven by uh, or may have very well been driven by people's attitudes toward race and economic status and these things. So what we're seeing is something that does not care or even understand political ideas just ripping through human society because we have been so far up our own butts, basically, <laughs> looking at these <laughs> other like taking these radical stances on these other issues yeah yeah, it's hard not to get political about this to some extent i mean i'm trying not to finger point at a particular person or party but but like 
man. Yeah, you know, you know, I, and, and Cody, that's such a great point because I, I think part of my outrage about all of this, um, and and I know you know this very well, and probably any person who's worked in the healthcare field, but you try so hard to help one patient do like one small thing. Yeah. Um, like you know, in in a in a whole day of of working in the emergency department or in an inpatient unit, I feel like I, you know, on like my best days. I move people like a very little amount. Like yeah. I, I, I help them a, just, just a tiny little bit to be healthier or just, just like a little bit more likely to take their medications the right way or believe, you know, certain things about themselves more. And, and it's so much work, you know, it's so much work to, to, to just help somebody just a little bit because, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, stop certain disease processes. It's hard to get people to change. Um, it's hard to, to make people better, but you know, it's worth it. And, and a lot of times I, I feel really like proud of myself, proud of my patients for the, the changes we made, even though it's not like dramatic, but then, you know, things like this happen and it's just like thousands of people are dead or like tens of thousands of people are dead yeah. for decisions that are, that like really could have been for it. It just it just kind of boggles my mind that I spent so many like hours making changes that are like essentially it, it just it essentially feels like it's completely meaningless when some event like this happens and people who should be in positions where they're responsible and have the power to prevent such that they, they, they don't care or they make really incompetent decisions. And then all of these lives are lost. Um, and it's not just that their lives are worse now. I mean, although a lot of people's lives will be, but, but there's all these people whose lives are like ended mm -hmm. and there's, there's no more of these people. And it just feels extremely frustrating that my entire career, it, you know, it's, it's moving people in really small increments and then these people who could have like saved lives they they they're just they're not doing their job and yeah. it feels very very frustrating for sure and, and I, it it feels like it shouldn't this this shouldn't be happening like how how is it possible that we've we have so much wealth in this country and we have so much talent and and we are where we are right now yeah. I mean, it, it comes to this point where it's like, clearly something has got to change. And we're learning that all these myths about, well, if you just let things go and let like the economic forces drive everything, then things will work themselves out. Well, yeah. that doesn't seem to be the case. And again, yeah. this is like, yeah, I mean, yeah. this is like a selection pressure. I mean, COVID does not give a damn what your opinion is or your beliefs it's just going to do what it's going to do based on some biologic principles and i think yeah. that we're going to see some pretty objective evidence like at the end of this we're going to learn whether the united states healthcare system is comparable to the socialized medicine systems in the rest of the world or if it sucks frankly yeah. um the, yeah. I, I hate the fact that real people are going to lose their lives for this information but we 
And we have a serious responsibility to use that information once it's available. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of ridiculous, you know, at some level. I mean, actually, on probably all levels, that we have we've spent so much money in our healthcare system, um, and also that this country is so incredibly wealthy, and yet our response. I mean, we are number one in the world in terms of death and infection from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And it, that just that just seems like it, that shouldn't be the case. Like that that shouldn't be a reality that we're in. Sure. Um, but also that, you know, despite all of this, which is already completely horrifying at this point, that we still have people who continue to justify the system as if it's okay. That there are people who are saying that we should you know, the, the economic impact of this would be too great. So we should just, we should just sacrifice more lives. And, and at some point it just feels like there's a really big disconnect in between the values that we supposedly have um, as citizens of this country and, and the values that we are actually putting effort into realizing. Sure. Like if you come to the emergency department and you say, I'm suicidal, then we do all sorts of things to help you, you know, feel better or to, to, to mitigate that risk. But then, you know, if, if it might threaten some sort of some, some money, like it, like if we might lose money because of this, then we, we all of a sudden don't really care that it's okay that we can just sacrifice a whole bunch of people as long as our GDP looks better. Um, and, and that just seems very, very confusing, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we should either, I mean, if we're going to if we're going to say that we care about human lives, then we should start acting like we really do. And we should really make a system where we don't end up in a situation like this, where we're saying that we can't save all the lives or that or that it's okay that, you know, we have a bunch of people die if we have enough money for some people. I mean, that's just, that just seems really perverse. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's the height of, of, of callous attitude. I mean, I, I hope that the majority of the people who have taken that stance are not seeing it quite that way. But I mean, it is a matter yeah. of like, that's where, when we were having all these healthcare debates back when the affordable care act was going through, there was all this, self-righteous talk about oh well we don't want to ration health care we don't have death panels yes. it's like yeah. listen right now we are rationing health care and all i mean yeah and until and unless there's enough health care to go around for everybody there will always be some form of rationing and i'm not entirely sure that anyone should be comfortable with just saying okay well whoever's got access to money and resources those should be the people who get right. to survive right yeah but you know and and it's it's essentially playing out this way. Yeah. And it's really, it's really, really messed up that it, it really, at some level, it's just, you know, every day when I like look at the news or read the news, I feel like I just can't actually be happening, but it is Yeah, like, it just feels so absurd. And, you know, it feels like we should have, been better than this like as a species <laughs> that you, we, yeah, we've had hope. all these pandemics you know throughout and 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 we have 
so we have gone we have come so far in terms of science and medicine we have the technology we have the internet we have all sorts of ways in which we can communicate with each other that we didn't have 100 years ago yeah but but now we're we're in a situation where this pandemic is happening and it's it's completely destroying people's lives and it's going to kill a lot of people yeah and, and well and we have warnings and it's not like this like all of a sudden happened globally all at once and nobody had any time to prepare yeah that like we saw this coming and 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 it just feels like what are what was the point like what is the point of our federal government if they can't protect us from things like this if they don't have preparations for times like this like i mean what else do they do really i mean that's yeah, I mean, horrible question. I'm sure, they do a lot of other things, but but it is true. Yeah, it is true that that's. I mean, that's the that's what they're entrusted with is the safety and well being of its citizens, and it is ironic yeah. that, for example, we have we have a military budget and set up such that there are very few yeah. earthly threats that we ever have to worry about, uh, and on a national yeah. scale, but. We were woefully and completely unprepared for something like this. And, you know, in some ways, I feel like we got lucky. This is not a, uh, this is by no means a harmless illness, but it sounds like in head to head comparisons, this is not as, this isn't the the Spanish flu and this isn't, um, this isn't the bubonic plague or smallpox or Ebola. But that being said, uh, I, I totally agree with you. We are doing so little to use the technology we have, especially. I mean, I have, I, I don't envy, I've said this on a couple of these interviews, I don't envy the person who's going to have to flip the switch to say that economies are, are coming back and lockdown measures are being loosened because there's never going to be a good time. Like, they're never going to be able to wait long enough such that no one else dies after they pull that switch. Right, right. But they're going to have to live with that, that they are probably going to kill some number of people by saying that we have to go back to work, we collectively. Right, right. And, and you know, I, I think the frustrating thing is that it didn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't have to be... We didn't have to shut down our economy to this extent um, if we had prepared earlier. If we had we, months. Um, we yes, yes, and and you know part of it I think is that there there's some like amnesia or or, or some. It, it's almost like they they the our government, for example, thought that this couldn't happen yeah. to to us. You know that oh it was happening in China and like really drastic measures uh, were being enacted there and a lot of people were dying, but, but it can't possibly happen here. And it, that just seems very that seems ridiculous. Arrogant. Yeah. Yes. Because they, you know, there, there's no, you know, in terms of bi- biology, there's really no difference between like a Chinese and an American person. Well, like there's no. Sure. And I, I think that the, the... You know, the trouble is that the anti-intellectualism in this country is such that there might be people who take issue with that statement as much as there's absolutely no um, evidence to support that kind of thing. There's just like this huge celebration of ignorance 
and yes. racial attitudes and these kinds of things that I can't believe we tolerate as a society that's supposed to be progressive in some sense. Yes. And, and I think that that, that that was a huge problem, that we had this huge lead time where we had, you know, China, when, when that happened, and, and China has, okay, I'm not going to comment on exactly what they did or, or didn't do, but, but the truth is they really had sort of no knowledge of this. And they had, there were like the first country where this was discovered. Yeah. And, you know, if, if that had happened in the United States and this was our response, it might have been okay or, or, you know, still have been frustrating, but it would at least have been more understandable. Oh, sure. There's so an excuse. Country that had gone through this, that, um, where we, we, we had a lot of data that was coming from China about yeah. what was happening. And sure, there's a lot of discussion about exactly how much of it was hidden and all that, but we had a lot of lead time. There was a lot of good data that we could have used and we could have acted on. Yeah. And we decided not to do that. And and, and that is, is just extremely puzzling. And it's very frustrating now when so many people's uh, jobs are on the line, when so many people will die from this disease, that, that all of these Things, not maybe not all of it, obviously, but there was a lot of damage that could have been mitigated yeah. if people had acted faster. Yeah, and it wasn't impossible. Like it wasn't an impossible task that you know was laid upon the people. Like it's it's not like this had happened. Like the patient zero was in the United States, and and there was no way we could have contained it. We we actually could have contained it. Yeah, we could have contained it, and we didn't have to shut down the economy. Yeah, well, and and that very frustrating absolutely i mean we could have shut the, we could have like shut down the borders for example yes like months before this and tightened mm-hmm. things down i mean heck if the whole world had activated or acted in a coordinated fashion theoretically yes. this could have never left china um, indeed yeah yeah and i mean yeah it baffles me and there's all these other things that I think are going to come out when people have had a chance to piece through all this, but I keep seeing articles like, right. oh, we had, we actually had a pandemic response team, but it was dismantled right. because yeah. just because it was Obama's idea, it can't possibly be of any use. Like, oh goodness. Right. Right. It's just, yeah. And, and I guess I just really hope that we do change as a society. You know, the, it, it I feel like this pandemic has really, help me understand like how unequal our society has become Mm -hmm. like the the way that you know some people have to the 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 kind of damage that some people will suffer from this pandemic is orders of magnitude more than others Mm -hmm. you know i don't know if you saw that video by celebrities singing imagine (laughs) while they're you know clearly not in financial destitute it, it, it that kind of contrast is 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 really interesting because it it, it I, don't, I don't know that we've had another event where so many of us were all impacted by the same thing yeah and it's really devastating for those of us and and I'm not counting myself in this but you know the where people some people are living paycheck to paycheck and this this is completely devastating but then there are you know those other people in our society who can 
play with socks during this time. You know, like the senators who sewed their socks when they had this information about the coronavirus that the rest of us didn't. And it feels like, didn't we, didn't this country like leave Britain so we could have a more equal society? Like, didn't we decide that we're not going to put up with, you know, the inequality and the sort of completely ridiculous degree of separation in the realities of the citizens of the country. Like, the, we, you know, we decided we were not going to have kings, we're not going to have queens, but we essentially have those things, I feel. Oh, for, sure. I mean, these... there are some people, yeah, in our society who's going to be completely fine and maybe even going to benefit from this pandemic. And then there are those whose lives are going to be completely destroyed. Yeah. And that feels like, is this really America? You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely in in contrast, as you said, to the values we claim to hold to this idea that everybody's created equal. I mean, how can that be when we have this class of people who, I mean, even before the pandemic, it was blindingly obvious in some cases where, Right. Like, like people yeah. are making, there are people who are making so much money off interest, they can't possibly fail. Like, yes. in my mind, yes. a society should be set up so that anyone would be happy to be born um, as a child to any member of the society. That would be like the ideal goal. And it is so far from that right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, so, so I wasn't born American. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in China and you know, there's a there's a whole like ethos about America and you know freedom and equality that you you sort of get indoctrinated into you know as like a like an immigrant and you you, you like kind of believe in that and I certainly think that this is a much more equal society than China for example or more free but it's been really disturbing yeah you know through this pandemic to see. To, to see how unequal this society really is, that, that there is that, you know, we're not all suffering the same way. Like this pandemic is is horrifying for most people, but there are some people where it doesn't matter at all. And I'm not saying that everyone should suffer, mm-hmm. but that it, it, it seems that I mean, it seems really unfair. And I don't know. And, and I feel like we should change that, mm-hmm. that this, this shouldn't be the way that this country runs. And I don't know if people people will be able to. I don't know if people will care afterwards, and yeah. and that that's really frustrating. You know, obviously the president is who he is, and, and you know there's a big divide in this country, and there's there's big, you know, philosophical differences maybe between people about whether we should redistribute wealth and all this other stuff. Yeah, well, um, that's something that drives me nuts as somebody. And I imagine most of us trained in like the hard sciences and and biomedical topics is just like sometimes I think this philosophy blanket is used to just ignore the idea that some things some policies and objectives are are demonstrably better than others. Like, for example, <laughs> we can look at which healthcare systems were better able to respond to covid and provide resources where they needed to be provided and and prevent the spread of disease and you can't i I feel like you can't really argue like oh but for philosophical reason x y and z that that method is not what we want to do it's like well 
do you really do you, is whether people die or not a philosophical position that doesn't compute to me <laughs> yeah yeah and you know and it it, it feels it, it feels like this is becoming like a country that I don't kind of recognize anymore and and I don't know if it was always this way and it's just being more obvious because there's a stressor but you know I I thought we all sort of shared a certain core set of values but now it seems like some of these are maybe not as important you know things like lives like pe- you know american lives are really important or you know we are doing everything we can to to save every life yeah i'm not sure that that's actually what we're trying to do <laughs> well and yeah, yeah it, it just it it just seems like this isn't i mean like do, you know that there there's also a sense of sort of a loss of trust or belief uh in the government yeah and but but it's not just it's not just that you know I think they're doing a bad job or something. But it's 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 sort of like you know, I had goodwill towards the country. I mean, I, I still do. Obviously, I'm still American. But that that there's this I there's this feeling that you know we're we're all in this collectively together, and you know we we all sort of care about each other, and. Ultimately, like, I, I don't know how much of that is, is really being shared by the people who need to have this value the most. Like, the, the federal government, like, I don't know that they really care about American citizens so much more, so much as they care about, like, money or something or the GDP. And, and that is 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 quite disturbing because i i then i don't really know that my values really align with with that of the country that i live in and i feel like that shouldn't be the case in america you know like this is america like this is supposed to be the land of freedom this is supposed to be the land where you know it, it it's supposed to be this like completely amazing place and and but but it seems like it's it's kind of a dystopia yeah. Um, and I struggle with that. Oh my God, this is going to get me like fired. <laughs> I'll send you the, I'll send you the edited copy before we go, um, okay, sending it to thank the masses. You. I, I like, I'm like becoming like communist revolutionary leader, like, you know, B or something, you know, like one of those well, people. I mean, it, it's true I mean, that it's become, I mean, if you look at things that, are for example like the idea that voting should be easy like in this epidemic there's a very good chance that we're going to need to make it easy to vote by mail or some similar fashion the fact that there are people who are upset about the idea that everybody should be able to vote i mean that undermines the very idea of a representative government yeah yeah absolutely yeah I mean, it's it, you know, it's particularly frustrating, you know, as somebody who really don't agree with the with you know China's philosophy, and that was the country that I was born in, mm. and I was really proud to have become American. Like I was like really excited mm. when I came to America and like learned about you know the values. Uh, it 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 is functionally quite different, you know. I mean, I I don't want to say that there's no positives in America or anything. That there's there's still a lot of great things. But it it also feels like I am. It also feels like maybe we're getting away from the values 
that made America great. Yeah. And that's 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 really that's really disturbing because some of those core values like you really can't negotiate on. You really you really shouldn't be negotiating about human lives. You know, you really shouldn't be negotiating about you know, whether the economy matters more than saving lives. Like that's that's not like a discussion we should even be having. For like sure. that, I don't know that that's appropriate, like at all. But you know, but but we talk about it like as if it's okay. And and you know, sometimes I like I'm so confused and baffled about why we're here. Like why is this happening when we've spent so much money in healthcare? when we have so much wealth and so much talent that we're like in this situation to begin with. And that now that we're here, we don't say, okay, let's put everything down and do everything we can to, to save lives. But no, no, let's, let's, let's think about it. <laughs> like, like think about what exactly, Yeah. like how many, how many dollars is one life worth? And like, I mean, what, what are we doing here? It, 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 it just seems completely ridiculous. You know, if, if a country, you know, if a government is made to protect its people, you know, if it's a bunch of people coming together and saying, okay, we're going to give, you know, money and power to some people so that, you know, they can organize and coordinate and do things that individuals can't do, then, then I think, you know, this government has completely failed us. Yeah. And, and that's, that's super frustrating. Yeah. And, you know, that I'm definitely, you know, I've voted every time I can, and, you know, I will vote in November, but I really hope that that other people, you know, are seeing this and that real changes will happen. Yeah. It, it feels like it won't, you know, and I think that's, that's the scary part, that so many things have happened where I feel like this must be the line in the sand. Like this must be where we collectively say, okay, this is way too far and we need to just rethink the entire situation. Like we, we, the, the line keeps getting pushed back. And, and, you know, I, I feel like we've, we've gone way past where we should have been comfortable, but, but we're still going. Yeah. And, and I don't know what it takes. For, for things to change. And and I really, I really do. I mean, people must, I mean, many people must feel the same way that I do. Oh, yeah. But, certainly. you know, like, I, yeah, I, I don't really, you know, there, there's a, there's a part where I feel like it, it feels kind of helpless, you know, that, that like, I don't know how we affect change anymore. Yeah, it's definitely disheartening in its way. And one thing that's come to my mind is if this is how we're going to react to a short-term acute stressor, I mean, this doesn't really bode well for the way we're dealing with longer-term stressors either. Um, oh, yeah. Think, things like climate change, for example, where you... Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the strategy of just burying our heads in the sand until the last possible moment is not going to serve us well for a lot of problems. Um no, no, it's, it's, it's very frightening and it's, it's very stressful, you know, as, um, you know, I, I just gave birth to a child and, you know, I think about what kind of future he's going to live in. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's, it's really, 
it's concerning because, you know, it's, I mean, it's not just the American government. I mean, like, you know, the, it, it seems like the majority of the world's government in face of an impending crisis really prefers not to do things or, or to pretend like it's not a problem. Yeah. And, and I wonder if this sort of speaks to some sort of, you know, deep human, human behavior or deep human trait that, that this is, this is sort of the response that um, the majority of governments have given. And, and I wonder how we can change that. Yeah. You know, because and- this, because, you know, COVID-19 doesn't care and climate change doesn't care either, you know, about, about us unless we do something about it. Like, it's not going to solve the, – the problem is not going to solve itself. And we have to come together and solve it somehow. Um, but, you know, I, I can say at least as an individual, um, I'm feeling kind of helpless. Yeah, I mean, with these big problems, we need collective action. And I mean, the one good thing is we do live in a relatively free society in America, and we do still have a representative government. So, I mean, these are definitely major pluses. We might not be happy with the way current elected officials are behaving, but thank goodness we have the ability to act. Um, yeah, absolutely. In a yeah, I mean, like we, there are places in the world where the only way to change the government is to have some sort of major coup and fortunately we just have to vote for people and have um, appropriate people step up to to take those positions but i mean it absolutely is a disturbing thought and i agree with you that there probably is some inherent flaw in human nature that sort of procrastinating and continuing to live as things were as long as possible is probably human nature um, but we almost need to have yeah. policies that specifically check against that. And hopefully that these are, hopefully these are lessons we can learn before it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the economic toll, like, so, you know, if we think about how much cheaper it would have been to have prevented this, yeah, you know, we, we, we just spent like $2 trillion or something on a stimulus bill. But we could have spent a fraction of that in, you know, preparing for a pandemic. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, like how much more, you know, I mean, we would probably gladly give 1%, 10% of that money to have prevented the current situation. Um, And and I bet it wouldn't have cost like $100 billion to have had a pandemic team where we could have done contact tracing, where we could have had testing. It would have cost a fraction of that. Sure. And, you know, it feels like we're going to, you know, this is happening. And I I hope that people, you know, change that, that we, that we see that, that there are some things that are worth spending money on, even though it's, it's preventative. And even though the, problem isn't slapping us in the face like right this moment i think that's a big problem we run into is just that prevention isn't sexy i mean suppose that we had i mean suppose that we had that vaccine i can tell you what what most likely would have happened is the vaccine would get rolled out a bunch of people would complain that it's going to cause autism or some nonsense and people would complain about how expensive it was and we would never see what we had prevented and we wouldn't have any appropriate gratitude for the money saved, the lives saved, et cetera. 
And that's a big problem yeah. we face in healthcare in general. I mean, look at the way we spend so much money. I mean, that drove me nuts back when I was an intern is like all these, all this late stage chronic disease management, like oh, yes. how much yes. money, how much money could we spend, um, giving people the best possible resources to maintain wellness for another decade or so such that we're not having to deal with all these like expensive invasive procedures because you know people doing people doing jumping jacks and having easy access to exercise and good food and sound advice on living a lifestyle and perhaps having the time to engage in those activities none of that is as dramatic as having a surgeon go in and pop the um, coronary artery open so that you can continue to not die Um, right (laughs) And I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm afraid that there really needs to be a higher level of awareness about the effects of prevention. And that's something I, I hope maybe we can generalize to more of healthcare because that's um, one of the central things that Humanity Against Disease is all about is that we as healthcare professionals and scientists are utterly failing to effectively communicate the importance of what we do to the general public. And I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a two-way street, but we can't very well blame people for being ignorant if we are stopping short of even trying to deliver the information effectively to the public. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. And yeah, maybe having gone through this pandemic, people, you know, we, we would have like some sort of anchor, you know? And and that might be one of the few positive things that come out of all of this. It's true. I mean, uh, we can say, look, <laughs> look at how bad that pandemic was. Yeah. You know, and, and if we could have prevented it, how how much better would all of us have been? Like how many more people would be alive today? Yeah. I and mean, how many more of us, you know, would, wouldn't have had you know, chronic problems. And we don't, we don't know what kind of chronic problems there might be from COVID-19. I hope there isn't any, but there probably are some. And, you know, that's, I, I, I suppose, you know, after sort of major stressors, um, you know, from a psychiatric perspective, you know, for people, um, sometimes, um, well, sometimes like really big stressors really, you know, kill people. Like they, they're not the same people they were before, but sometimes people become, you know, much more resilient or they, they change in a more positive way. And then I hope that happens to more of us, you know, than, than the former. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's where we're going to be teasing this out for decades. I'm sure the mental health and the economic impacts, because as you were saying about inequality, yeah. the people who suffer from um, the longer term, even non-biologic sequelae are going to be the people who are already probably getting the short end of the stick. I mean, if you're homeless or yeah. having to live nine people to a house or don't have access to critical amenities, I guess that's, I don't know what I would say those are going to be the same people who are boxed out, who have the failed small businesses and have to rebuild, have to move, have all these challenges after the dust has settled. And hopefully, yeah, I, I mean, we're almost going to have to just hope that there's a spontaneous increase in 
level of willingness people with a great deal of wealth have to part with it on their right. own, which I don't have much <laughs> faith in that happening. But yeah, yeah, um, it, it certainly seems like you know after something like this that if anything it's harder to make things equal, you know, um, unless there is some, some, some policy um, or some enforcement because the people who, you know, already didn't have a lot of money are going to lose a lot of money. And the, and the people who, who had a lot of money to begin with, they can, you know, after a, a big fallout, there, there's a lot more opportunity that they have of, you know, investment and other things. And, you know, of course everyone is suffering probably to some extent, but, it's, you know, I, I suppose we'll see what happens. Uh, I really do hope for the best. <laughs> I really do hope that people, you know, that, that this is a great example for us to all learn from about prevention and other things. And I really hope that it's not as, as bad as some of the projections say. Yeah. But, you know, I, I am also really afraid that human nature being what it is and, you know, that, that maybe we're going to go back to the same pattern and and nothing really major will change and we'll continue to have these issues even though even though like you know we we're all going to go through this and and it's going to be really painful so and but you know you know there's there's always things that we could do you know even if change is really slow yeah <laughs> i guess it's not all hopeless <laughs> but I guess we do have to get creative about about how we're going to do things, you know, if we don't have the support of the federal government, for example. Like, Absolutely. I know, you know, different states have had to do things themselves. And I and I guess I guess, you know, as people that there are still things we can do. Yeah, I mean, we do have the ability to organize with relatively few restrictions for pro-social purposes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So there's, I I agree that there is still hope. It's just looking like we're going to be going through a bleak patch collectively. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any parting thoughts for our listening public? I probably should let you go shortly. Yeah. um, Well, I think, I think this is a, I think probably any time is an interesting time to be alive. Yeah. But it certainly seems like this is a this is a really unprecedented event. And at some level, you know, we're all going through it. And and I, I guess there's there's some solidarity in that. That, yeah. you know, sometimes you go through a really catastrophic event, but you know, you feel like maybe other people don't understand. Yeah. But uh, now I feel like, you know, at least that there's that we're all sort of going through it, that, that there's always this fear that you can't completely mitigate, even if you have, you know, a lot of money or a lot of access that, you know, you or your loved ones might be affected by COVID-19 that, you know, you might suffer from it or that people close to you might pass away. Um, And I think maybe going through this collectively, you know, at the the very least that we're not alone in going through this. Yeah. Okay. I think that's that's a good message to take home. Well, Lisa, I'm glad that you joined us and that we had a chance to talk this over. I know it wasn't necessarily the most uh, positive conversation, but we are in 
a really trying time, and I don't think we, we have to sugarcoat indeed. that. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for and having me, Coach. Absolutely. And as I've said to my other guests, depending on how long this thing goes, if uh, if you find out you have more to say in the future, we could always circle back. But I have no idea. I would love for this to be winding down and settling out before we have too many or chances to make too many interviews. But we're going to have to see. Hello again. I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I know that I would love to hear from any and all of you of guest recommendations you have for our next Humanity in the Plague Times or COVID Around the World series. So if you or somebody you know would love to be on the podcast, be interviewed about your experience with COVID, please let us know. Please reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. Our handles are Against Disease. Find us on Facebook at Humanity Against Disease. And you can always check out our website, which is humanityagainstdisease.com. And of course, please stay tuned to the next episode, which can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud.